I want to begin this morning in John chapter 6, verse 53. John chapter 6, verse 53. And uh, we're talking about the power of the blood. Not just any blood, but the blood of Jesus. You know, there's, there's uh, all of us have one big thing in common, and that is we all have blood. So there's nobody here this morning without blood. <laughs> we all have blood. Let's read John chapter 6. I'm going to read in New King James Version. Verse, start with verse 53. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. For he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me or lives in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. I like to think that way. I feed on the Lord. Verse 58, this is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. You know, it reminds me of if you went to two chapters before that, Jesus came to the woman at the well of Samaria and she's getting water and, um, you know, he, he kind of, well, he's, he's, he what we call witnesses to her. He starts talking to her about the Lord and the things of the Lord. And he said, uh, hmm, you know, I could give you water where you'd never have to come and get some out, draw some out anymore. And, uh, you know, she was not born again. So she wasn't what the Bible calls spiritual. So she was natural. So she thought natural kind of thoughts. So just like when, when Nicodemus came to Jesus at night and said, uh, hey, uh, Jesus, we know that you're a teacher come from God because no one can do these miracles that you're doing unless God is with them. So we know God is with you. We know you've come from God. You know, so, so how can I enter you know, the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus says, you must be born again. And so Nicodemus, being also a natural man, had natural thoughts. Maybe he was like those of us that are pretty analytical, Nicodemus. Because all of a sudden he's like, well, what happened? Well, his mind came to a place where it could no longer understand what the master was saying because you understand he had a hunger and a desire because he came by night and said we know that you came from the Lord so he had an honor for Christ and the things of Christ one of the few Pharisees that did one of the few teachers that did and so he came to Jesus uh, you know at night 
And Jesus said, you have to be born again. And because he was really unacquainted with spiritual things, his comprehension, understanding, the way he analyzed the situation was all natural. So he said, you mean I have to go back into my mother's womb again and be born? Like he's like, you're literally saying I have to literally go and be born all over again? I mean, depending on how uh, his mind worked, I mean, that's a lot. Like, am I going to shrink? You know, like, is this a reverse process or what is it? Well, uh, Jesus, Jesus is talking spiritual things. Do you know Jesus is still speaking spiritual language? In fact, the entire word of God, the Bible, which is the word of God, is a spiritual language. It's a spiritual book written by the Spirit of God himself. Holy men of old spoke and wrote as they were moved by God's Spirit. And so um, the woman at the well of Samaria, she's the same way. She's like, you know, are you greater than our, you know, uh, Jacob who, who dug the well, right? Because she was at Jacob's well. Well, he's like, yeah, this is a whole different realm. And so he's talking spiritual things. So I wanted to start with this passage of Scripture because I think it's the most in-your-face concerning the blood of Jesus. And so actually, if you read a few verses down further, we don't have time uh, to really go there together with this morning, but if you read a few Scriptures further, you'd find like, after this saying, many of the disciples left him and didn't return because this is a hard saying. Like you're saying, I have to eat your flesh and drink your blood or you don't have any part with me. And so if you were all just natural people thinking natural things, and we said that here this morning, we might all leave. We're not cannibals. I hope not. <laughs> Right? Okay, so that's kind of my introduction to this message today. So the Bible is not like any other book. The Bible is actually an Eastern book. and We live in the West. And so even the customs and the way people would do things is, is different from our culture, very different from our, our culture. And the Bible is a blood covenant book. And so if you don't understand the blood covenant, you're, you're maybe going to stumble over some things in the Bible. And, you know, there's the Old Testament and the New Testament, but literally it's the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And so uh, I have to make this happen really fast. Praise the Lord. But you know, over in Genesis 15, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, because Abraham was not always Abraham. Abraham started as Abram, and Sarah was not always Sarah. She started as, uh, what, Sarai. And God changed their names as part of the covenant. And so probably the best picture that we could come up with of the covenant today would be marriage. Marriage. 
what God's design for marriage is supposed to be, is a covenant. And so uh, uh, Abraham, as I said, we were worshiping the Lord with our giving. You know, he's coming back from the battle of the kings and he honors the Lord, uh, gives him 10% off the top before he touched anything of what they received uh, from the battle, you know, what the, the riches they got from the battle. So he honored the Lord with that. And the Lord, you know, kind of comes to him and Abram says, what are you going to give me seeing I, I go childless? And the Lord, you know, says, you're going to have a son, you know, uh, even at your great age. And even at Sarah's great age, you're going to have a son. And, you know, over in Genesis 17, you know, because uh, Abraham also was earthly and thought earthly things. And so after the Lord spoke, he thought it, it went a while and... Uh, Sarah wasn't getting pregnant, and so um, he said, well, okay, I know how the Lord's going to do it. It's going to be through Sarah's maid, and so that's where Ishmael came from, and uh, you see some of the problems happening right now because of that. <laughs> so, uh, gentlemen, that's not a good idea, and ladies, actually, that's not a good idea because Sarah kind of pushed him into it. Well, you could go so many ways here. Why, would, why in the world would Sarah push Abraham to sleep with her servant? Do you know sometimes, well, all the time, the devil's working against you? We live by faith. We walk by faith. Well, if you don't know how to walk by faith, or you're just going to walk by sight. What's going to happen? Well, the Lord said... He didn't say this to you, but I'm going to use you as an example. The Lord said you're supposed to have a baby. It's not working. Shame. Shame will cause people to do the most inhuman things. Shame will cause a believer to lie to your face. That person would never lie. But all of a sudden, they got shame. Because they're not identifying with who God is or who God's made them to be. They're identifying with who they are after the flesh. And they see the plan, the, the vision of God, the plan of God, the word of God, the dream of God. Oh, but they get caught up in their power to make it come to pass. Shame is a very destructive force. I mean, in Corinthians, Paul says, we have put to death the, the hidden things of dishonesty, literally in the margin, it says, of shame. Well, we're not dis, de dealing deceitfully. Paul there is even talking about, there he's talking about people using shame in ministry, actually, in Corinthians. So, so we don't deal, deal deceitfully. So Sarah had shame, and so that shame caused her to do something that she herself didn't want to happen. What can remove shame? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. There's so much power in the blood of Jesus. There's so much power in the blood of Jesus that you can look at yourself you can look at your weaknesses, your inabilities, your failures. You can, you can look those things straight on, eye to eye, when you're seeing the blood 
and you put faith in the blood of Jesus. If you ever, when you catch a glimpse of the blood of Jesus and the power of the blood of Jesus, you will do what Romans 3, was it 20, 25, uh, talks about. You have faith in the blood of Jesus, which is a mercy seat. Well, well you catch a, a glimpse of that mercy, and it, it'll make you a different person. So the Bible's a blood covenant book, so God shows up to Abram, and uh, Abram's like, you know, I like Abraham. So his name gets changed, but before his name's changed, he's like, how am I going to know you know, uh, oh, he's like, what are you going to do for me? Because I, I go, I don't have any children. I have no offspring. The Lord said, I have made you the father of many nations. Do you see yourself there? I don't mean like as the father of many nations. I mean, like, you, you have this opportunity to talk with the Lord and to tell him your challenge, your difficulty, your problem, your greatest regret, your greatest disappointment or your greatest desire, like a disappointment can be, hey, I thought this was going to happen by now. This hasn't happened. Why hasn't this happened? And the Lord comes to you and said, it's already happened. And you're kind of like, I know you're like all knowing and everything like that. You're like the smartest one in the room. In fact, in every room. In fact, in every country, every like, like you are the top. Uh, but excuse me, I don't think you heard me correctly. We've been trying to have kids. We have not been successful. And since you know all things, you know this. So how in the world are you saying that you have made me the father of multitudes? So Abraham says, at that time is Abram. So Abram says, how will I know? <laughs> right? So he asked, and the Lord said, well, I've made you the father of many nations. He's like, well, how will I know? He said, you'll know, no. <laughs> he said, go and get some turtle doves, some uh, she goats, some rams, you know, cut them down the middle. Don't cut the birds in the middle. Just cut the other things in the middle. You know, and you, you kind of fast forward down, you know, scroll down, however you do it, turn the page. You go down a little further in the scripture and it says, on that day, well, it says a great, he caused a great sleep to come on Abram. And that day, a smoking oven and a burning torch passed between the pieces. Okay, this is like really foreign to our Western mind. And so he made a covenant. And in that day, when they would make a covenant, what they would do is they would take all of these sacrificial animals and they would split them down the middle, literally. And so like if I'm a cow, they split me down the middle and my left half falls there and my right half falls there and my guts fall right here. Okay? And they did this with all of the animals. And then in between the animals, all that blood and gut, there's all kind of blood, all kind of guts, and it's called the pathway of blood. And so... When someone wanted to make a covenant, what they would do is they would kind of like lock arms and then they would walk in a figure eight, the infinite symbol, right? In between those pieces in the midst of the blood. And what they're saying is, if I ever 
fail to keep any of my covenant with you. May what happened to these animals happen to me. And what they're saying is, may the, as this life of this animal was given for us to be in this agreement, may my life is now given to you and to you, and your life is given to me in this agreement. And the Bible actually teaches that the less is blessed by the greater. And so, uh, you know, God knows your weakness and my weakness. So instead of Abraham, Abram at that point, coming into the covenant and failing at the covenant, the Lord himself came and stood in Abraham's stead and came into covenant with Abram so that there could be no failure to this covenant. So this is the first covenant. Well, when you come into covenant, if you, if you like missionaries and stuff, you can read after David Livingston. You can see like he went to Africa and he starts all these tribes, you know, they're going to come and like uh, kill you and steal from you and do all this stuff. So he goes and he approaches them and he says, I want to cut a covenant with you. I'm going to come into covenant. And so then instead of being fearful of them, now they're on his side. Now they will protect him no matter what. And so the Bible is a blood covenant book. So that's just a small glimpse, okay? So if I give a small glimpse of that covenant, well, if, if I don't understand covenant, and, um, you know, in covenant, if my wife, maybe I should pick somebody else. If I'm in covenant with Gabriel, and we're in covenant, and I, I'll put it this way. I'm over in India, and like, I need help. Well, if I call Gabriel or text Gabriel, like he's like, I'll, I'll, when do you want me there? I'll be there. Because we're in covenant. Because it really doesn't matter how difficult the problem, the cost, the expense, when you're in covenant. Right? You respond to the covenant. So the covenant supersedes everything else. And uh, where they would even take it out of context, it would even uh, supersede normal family relationships. Like, you know, I'll sacrifice my family in order to, uh, for the covenant. That's what God did with Christ, of course. And so uh, the old covenant was based upon those animals and the blood of those animals and the perfection of those animals and the life of those animals. Well, Jesus came and he's like, I I'm giving you something better. You know, Leviticus, uh, was it 18 or something like that? The life of the flesh is in the blood. And so, uh, you know, Pastor Mark Hankins, his grandson, Dylan, uh, about five or six years ago now, something like that, was uh, diagnosed with leukemia. And uh, we were in the, their camp meeting, and, you know, Dylan wasn't feeling well again. And then all of a sudden they found out he had leukemia. And... Um, he is today, uh, for a year or two now, completely cancer-free. Praise the Lord. Uh, but you know, um, they gave him a blood transfusion. And when they gave him a blood transfusion, they took the bad blood out and put good blood in. And you know, he got better. But then you know like the source of the blood wasn't changed, which was the, the marrow. And so he started, it started to come back on him. He started to get worse again. 
And so, uh, you know, at, at first they called it, said it was in remission, and I guess we found out through this whole process, you know, you can be in remission, but that doesn't mean it's totally gone. It's, you, for it to be totally gone, it has to be in what's called molecular remission. And so he ended up getting his brother to be a, a bone, bone marrow bone marrow donor, and uh, so he started to take on traits of his brother because the life's in the blood. So like his hair, like his personality, like the doctor said before he went in for that uh, surgery, you know, everybody say goodbye to Dylan because you'll never see this Dylan again because there's a new Dylan coming out because of the blood. So I'm just illustrating that the life is in the blood. You know, as soon as the, where the blood's produced and the bone marrow there was, was changed out, no cancer, no nothing, totally cleansed, totally new life because he got what? New blood. New blood. And every single one of us this morning has blood. In fact, if you don't have blood, if we took your blood, you will die. The life is in the blood. Okay, let's look at that in the New Testament, and then we'll, we'll kind of finish because I know it's getting late. Uh, Leviticus uh, seventeen ten, which I quoted, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. Colossians 1, 14. In whom, speaking of Jesus, we have redemption. How, how do we have redemption? How are we redeemed? Through his blood. The forgiveness of sins. Uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verse 7. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made toward, uh, abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Now, uh, with that said, let's go to Romans chapter 3, verse 21. Romans 3, verse 21. Well, just hold your place there. We may not have time to get there. Um, so when it said that the Lord cut a covenant with Abraham, it's the Hebrew word berith. Okay? Berith means, literally means like to cut where blood flows. It means to eat or to cut. If you look it up, berith, to eat or to cut. And so uh, we're talking about the blood covenant. We're talking about eating. Everybody likes eating. Most people like eating. And to cut. But the interesting to eat, it means to eat or to dine. And it's not the normal verb that you would say, let's go eat, or I'm eating, okay? It's a different verb. And what this verb actually means is to recuperate, recuperation or convalescence. In other words, you, you must get better. Uh, you, you must receive strength again. And so this meal or this eating is not a normal kind of eating. It is an eating that will restore, recuperate, and revive you, okay? So what would happen is when they would make covenant, they would have the covenant ceremony, then they would have an exchange of gifts, and then they would um, uh, have a covenant meal. This is why I like to think of marriage the, the normal traditional marriage ceremony as a great picture of the covenant, okay? Um, because there is a giving of, like, I gave myself completely to her and she gave herself completely to me. And um, um, we exchanged rings. Uh, 
And then uh, we actually received communion together, and uh, we didn't have a song because she didn't want it, the ceremony to be long. That's okay, you don't have to have a song. And, uh, but I'll sing it to you for years and years to come. <laughs> and, and then we had a meal. We had a covenant meal. Okay, so Jesus, what I, the scripture I started with, he's talking about if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. You're not receiving it. Of course, he's not talking about like, you know, Peter, get your sword out that you're going to cut someone's ear off with and cut a chunk of me out. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking covenant language because he's a covenant God. Somebody said blood covenant is the bridge to faith. Blood covenant, the bridge to faith. Why? Well, because the Lord's like, Abraham's like, how am I going to know that this is actually going to happen? And the Lord looked to see what was the strongest human way I can communicate to you that this is how it is and there are no other options till death do us part. Right? And so on that day, the Lord cut a covenant with Abraham. Cut a covenant. So bereth means to cut where blood flows and it means to eat that will sustain you. So think of like uh, Livingston. Livingston would come and he had a problem. He had a weakness. He had a conflict with those tribes, but he, he had a, a burning passion on inside of him. I've got to tell them about Jesus. But if they see me as an enemy, there's no way they can, they can, um, that they'll hear or receive what I have to say because they'll resist because I'm the enemy. But if I can come and if I can be their friend, if I can come into oneness with them, they will hear me. So what happened? They cut covenant, and then they have a covenant meal so that Livingston's eating of the meal is actually annihilating and restoring and recuperating any weakness that he would have with these tribes, with these people. And so when we come and we eat the covenant meal, which we call communion, remembering the blood and the body of Christ, what are we doing? Well, if you don't understand what you're doing, you're, you could go through life sick or even die young because you don't understand what's happening. But if you actually understand what's happening, that when you receive, how do I receive it? From my heart. I don't have to receive it in my mouth. That's why, that's why we can have those really nasty tasting wafers and you can be healed receiving communion, receiving a nasty piece of cardboard <laughs> or whatever it's made of. Because it's not the physical object. It is remembering in your heart the real person and the power of the blood. Because just like this blood had to be offered, you know, the high priest used to offer the blood once a year. And, you know, they're going to try to reestablish that probably pretty soon. So they had to take the blood once a year and only the high priest could go in. But over in... Um, Hebrews chapter 9, we learn without the shedding of blood, verse 21, there is no remission of sins. So if there was no shedding of blood, your, your sins are still going to be there. Um, your, your sins are not going to be gone.
I really need to go to 9. We'll have to do that next week, all of Hebrews chapter 9. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Uh, In Isaiah 43, praise the Lord. In Isaiah 43, the Lord said, I, even I, am he that blots out your transgressions. I will not remember your sins for my own sake. I thought you'd do it for my sake. No, for my own sake, says the Lord. Well, what is that? Blotted out. Well, I think of blotted out. I think like you got a fountain pen or like we just went to Colorado. And I, you think, you know, I will learn now. And the reason I will learn is because I'm saying I will learn. I put my faith on I will learn, so I will not forget. So literally, because I, I said that from my heart, I won't forget. So I do the same thing. It, you know, do you know like you don't need a watch or a clock or an alarm to get up? You can actually do it from your spirit. And so how I do it from my spirit is I say, I'm going to wake up at 5.15 in the morning. And I, I say that from my spirit. And then I wake up at 5.15, sometimes 5.14. So I'm not going to forget. But the last two times when I've gone to Colorado for this prayer conference, I always take my highlighters. Well, it's like 10,000 feet where I'm at. So I pull out my red highlighter, which is a really bright highlighter, and it explodes like every time and it starts dripping all over and I have like red all over my hands. So I'm not going to forget. Because no, then I have to buy another highlighter. Because you bring it, get back to normal pressures, and then it doesn't ever go back in. It's still like it like busted something that held it in, or or, or something like that. And so <laughs> that, that totally threw me off. But praise the Lord. I really want to see if I can go here to finish. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption without the remission, you know, without the blood, there's no remission of sins, remember, Through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus, who God set forth to be a propitiation or a mercy seat by his blood. Through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because uh, in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and a justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So, If I put my faith in the blood of Jesus, that means I'm taking this this problem, this situation, this challenge, this dream, and I am taking the weight of that. In other words, how is this going to happen? How is this going to be accomplished? How is this going to change? And I apply the power of the blood of Jesus. So one of the greatest ways or places in your life to apply the blood of Jesus is in relationships. Because I can't make Gabriel like me. I can be nice to him. You know, I can give him money. 
Giving money is, is one way to get people's attention because um, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And if I bless him with a lot of money, uh, I can sneak up on his blind side, you know, not manipulating, but I'm using my resources. But I just still can't make him amend with me. This, this, this challenge in our relationship that we don't really have, but if we had one. I can't fix it myself, but the blood of Jesus can. The blood of Jesus restores. The blood of Jesus redeems and completely restores and completely redeems. Like the blood of an animal will just patch you up. It'll just cover over it, right? It just covers over it. But the blood of Jesus, he said, I'll blot out your transgressions. I'll, I won't remember your sins. That word for blot out literally means I will destroy them out of existence. So I think of blotting out, like I was talking about the highlighters, I think of blotting out as like, you know, put a bunch of ink on something, you know, uh, to cover it up. But when the Bible talks about blotting out, look it up for yourself. It literally is talking about, I will destroy that so that it is no longer there for my own sake. I don't want anything between me and you, he says. I'm not going to have anything that's hindering my side. Well, sometimes we have things that are hindering our side. God doesn't have anything hindering his side, but we have things hindering our side. I remember uh, Kenneth Hagin was approaching the Lord. Actually, he, he was having a vision of him. And uh, he fell at the feet of Jesus in the vision. And he's like, oh, Lord, Lord, no one as unworthy as me has ever been worthy to be in your presence. And he said that the Lord rebuked him. Man, you get a vision of Jesus and he rebukes you. Well, if you need it, that's the best thing in the world for you. <laughs> Change your life. What do you say? He said, stand up straight. Stand up right on your feet. You are worthy. My blood has made you worthy. Man, I heard him tell that. A few years later, I realized I have a total wrong picture of the power of the blood. Because how you act when you approach the Lord really, really reveals your faith in the blood. So if you act like it's a big thing to twist the Lord's arm to get this accomplished, or like, you know, 1 John 1, 9, if you sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you, cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And uh, if you don't know that, you put that into practice, well, that'll totally uh, remove and cleanse those sins, remove anything that's wrong. It's gone. But then some people struggle with forgiving themselves. They're like, I believe the Lord will forgive me, but I don't forgive myself. Well, you don't understand the power of the blood either. That that blood actually gives you boldness. Not only towards the devil, but towards the Lord. That, why? Because of the blood. If you have trouble with yourself, that's great. Just use it to your advantage. Just say, I, I'm, I wasn't coming based on me anyhow. Just look at the power of the blood. Do you believe that the blood of Jesus is strong enough 
to redeem any sinner no matter how bad the sin. Well, just turn that back on yourself. Somehow, somehow you have more power than the blood. If you, if, if you hesitate when you're approaching the Lord and you've confessed your sins and believe he's faithful and just to forgive you, but then you're like, you're so conscious and you remember and you have the, a picture of it. Well, the devil can bring that back or you can conjure it up yourself. But if I have faith in the blood, if I believe the blood of Jesus cleanses every sin, every stain, totally removed, it's speaking in heaven right now, you're not guilty. You're just, you're right, you're redeemed. Right? If I'm applying faith in the blood, well, then how would I come to the Lord? Well, Hebrews says, therefore, let us come boldly before the throne of grace. Not only when we do things right, because he said, what? That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help. Look at who, look at the kind of God we serve. Not only does he offer mercy, but grace to help in your time of need. God loves you and he loves you so much that he literally gave the life of his own son to take every blot, splotch of sin, darkness, evil, nastiness, not only off of your account in heaven, not only off of your heavenly account, but Hebrews actually tells us that the blood of Jesus will reach right into our conscience. Where's our conscience down here? <laughs> we'll reach right into our conscience and remove and destroy and annihilate the very consciousness of sin and that you don't measure up and that other people are better than you. You know, God loves you just the way you are. While you were a sinner, Christ died for you. While you were being a mess up, while nobody else would have put any bets on you or any hopes on you, while other people would have said, it's useless, while people are saying, you're going to amount to nothing, he said, your future is bright. Just come with the blood of my son, everything will be all right. It'll clean everything up. It'll remove every spot. It'll cleanse every sin. It'll, it'll reach to the deepest part of who you are. And it'll cleanse you. It'll transform you. It'll bring you life. The blood of Jesus takes everything in us and it, it brings it right. It takes every part of who we are, every part of the plan of God of our lives and puts everything in perfect alignment with God's plan and God's purpose and delivers us. Hallelujah. What are we doing? We're putting faith in the blood. What are we doing? We're seeing what the blood has actually done for every single one of us. 
What's going to happen when we see that? We're going to take the power of that same blood, that same mercy. Uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, be kind one to another, forgiving, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Forgive one another. We're going to take the power of that blood that's actually changing our picture of ourselves. And all of a sudden, we're going to become different people. So I'm not threatened by you and you're not threatened by me because of the power of the blood. Because I know who loves me. I know who I'm in covenant with. I know who's going to protect me, who's going to provide for me, who's directing me. I know whose I am. And because I know whose I am, I know who I am. Because I know who I am, I, 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 can, I can work on my relationship with you. I have a defender. I don't need to defend myself against her. He's my defender. I have a vindicator. He's my vindicator. So I can actually put aside what I need to say, what I want to say, and I can apply the blood. And I can open my heart to hear what she's saying or what my brother-in-law is saying, what my son, my daughter, what my mother, what my father I'm talking about, you know, relationships. We're going to relationships. So first you've got to get your relationship here right. Right, right Boy, you keep this clear by applying the blood. Hallelujah. Stand, stand up, please. If you're able, stand up. Praise the Lord. Power of the blood. Father, we come to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by his blood. We thank you for the power of the blood. We thank you that you're teaching us, leading us, guiding us, that we're, we know more now than what we've ever known and that we will still know more, that you bring, uh, take us from glory to glory, from revelation to revelation. Father, I thank you for the power of the blood. I apply that blood right now over every person that's here and those that are listening that they would receive, have, and live in everything that you sent Jesus to pay the price by giving his own blood for. In Jesus' name, with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, just slip up your hand if you'd like to. I'd love to pray with you and for you. It's not automatic. Uh, we are all marked for heaven, but you must receive Jesus as your Lord. God's a God of love. He'll never force you to do anything but he'll invite you. And right now, if you check in your heart, if you're not born again, he's inviting you to become a part of the family of God. And uh, one of the ways he's doing that is he's using my mouth. So if you'd like to receive Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior, just slip up your hand. I'm gonna pray with you and for you. We're all gonna pray together. And uh, when you pray that prayer, the Lord's gonna hear it. Your life will be forever changed. It'll be different. You'll actually become a brand new person in Christ like we've been talking about. We apply that blood. We apply that blood. Father God, I thank you for your words. The entrance of your words gives us light, brings understanding. Father, I thank you that you are the God who speaks. We thank you, Father, for speaking to us already this morning. We thank you for the move of your spirit and for the light that comes with him. We thank you for the light that we have received. 
But Father, we don't want to put our own interpretation on things that you have brought before us. But we want you to show us and show us our part and show us where we need to step out, where we need to act, where we need to stand. Thank you that you have put within us your own spirit and that he's greater than any spirit that's in the world. Thank you that we're not lost, but we have been found because you have found us. Hallelujah. Let's all say this together, make this declaration. Father God, I believe Jesus Christ is your son and that he died on the cross to take my sins, to forgive me and to release me from the power of the devil and the power of sin. I believe that you raised him from the dead. Lord Jesus, I do take you as my Lord. You're the Lord of my life. I'm living for you. Thank you for saving me. Fill me with your spirit. Thank you for healing me in my body and delivering me from all the powers of darkness. In Jesus' name, amen.